0: from Jonah chapter 2 from Dan IV. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, In my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. You heard me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas, and the currents thrilled around me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I have been banished from your sight, Yet I will look again towards your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. But you, Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. I will say, Salvation comes from the Lord. And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. This is God's word.
1: Every once in a while, you have a moment in your life where you go through something, you have an experience. That changes you forever. That's where Jonah was here in chapter 2. The chapter begins and Jonah is inside the belly of a great fish. He's there because in chapter 1, you saw this if you were here with us last week, God asked Jonah to do something that he didn't want to do. And so instead of obeying God, Jonah runs the other way. And God's judgment, God's severe mercy, comes after Jonah. There's a great storm, there's questioning sailors, and ultimately there's a great fish. And so Jonah, he's bobbing in the sea, thinking death is about to come, a great fish swallows him up, and as we'll see next week, puts him back on the pathway of obedience. But here in chapter 2, Jonah is in a moment, moments that you sometimes have, in which after this experience everything in his life changes. At the end of his prayer here in chapter two, the last line, Jonah says, salvation comes from the Lord. You see, he started in disobedience and he ends in surrender. And in a recognition of the greatest truth of the Bible, God alone is the one who brings salvation. So here's my question. When you find yourself going through those potentially life-changing moments, how do you navigate them with poise? How do you navigate them with grace? And how do they become moments not for despair, but for growth and for change in your life? After chapter two, Jonah was not a perfect person. He's still a work in progress, and we'll see in the rest of the story, he's got a long way to go. But after this chapter, the whole direction of his life was changed as he experienced grace in a whole new way. How can you? We'll be able to do that if we see in this chapter four things. First, the place of breakthrough. Second, a tool for breakthrough. Third, a discovery in breakthrough. And then fourth, the God who breaks through. So the place of breakthrough, the tool for breakthrough, a discovery in breakthrough, and a God who breaks through. So first, what do we learn here about the place of breakthrough? I think it's safe to say that chapter 2, Jonah's inside the belly of a fish, is probably the hardest moment of his life. This is probably the hardest thing he's ever experienced up till this point. And if you look at the text, he actually tells us that's true. Verse 2, Jonah says, "...in my distress I cried out to the Lord." Later in verse 2, from deep in the realm of the dead. That's what Jonah's experience feels like, deep in the realm of the dead. Verse 3, he's in the depths. Verse 5, the engulfing water is threatening me. He feels like he's drowning. And then verse 6, he says, I'm in a pit. One Hebrew scholar, who's an expert in Hebrew poetry, reading this chapter says, all the language Jonah uses to describe his experience... It conveys the darkest possible shade of despair. This is the hardest moment of Jonah's life. The water is crashing down. I'm drowning. I'm in the pit. I'm in the realm of the dead. And you know, we too, in our lives, we often, do you notice? We often use water imagery to describe how we're feeling. How's it going? Oh, I'm so overwhelmed. I'm drowning. Things are just crashing down on me. That's storm and water imagery. And what is doing here in this moment is he's describing a moment of intense physical, emotional, and spiritual suffering. Probably the hardest moment of his life. And that is the place of breakthrough. The hardest moments and the hardest seasons of your life. Which is to say... Right now, some of you and all of you eventually will feel like you are in the emotional equivalent of whatever being in the belly of a great fish means. And when that moment comes, or if that moment is with you now, that's a moment for breakthrough. Now, let me say, as a pastor, as your pastor, I don't actually take any joy in saying this. Because I don't want you to go through hard moments. I don't enjoy walking with people. Well, hear me what I mean. It it breaks my heart to see you suffer. It, It makes me incredibly sad when we find ourselves, when as a community or individually, we find ourselves in the emotional equivalent of the belly of a great fish. And yet, I'm never without hope. Because I know that the whole pattern of the Bible, just like here in Jonah's story, is that it's in those pits that we learn more about God than we ever could, that our experience of grace is deeper than it's ever been, and our ability for change is more profound. Why? Because Jonah has nowhere else to turn. He's been brought to the end of himself. Everything he used to look to, everything he used to trust in, it's been stripped away. And finally, as he's now at the end of himself, is the place where God's work and God's presence in his life becomes more real than it's ever been. The hardest moments and the hardest seasons of your life are the places for breakthrough. And so if you're in one right now, know this. And if you're not, prepare thyself because they're coming. The hardest moments are the places where spiritual breakthrough can come because it's in those moments we're brought to the end of ourself and we realize we have nothing to depend on except for God alone. And that's where God brought Jonah. The place of spiritual breakthrough, the hardest moment of his life. But second, there was a tool for breakthrough. It wasn't just that Jonah was in a hard spot, but there was a tool he uses That actually facilitates a spiritual encounter. And you've got to see it. It's quite something. When you read through the story of Jonah, you notice that chapter two feels really different. Because chapter one and chapters three and four, it's narrative, it's just a story. We're being told what happened. But when you get to chapter two, it's poetry. This is a psalm. Jonah is praying. A psalm is a prayer song. It's a song that people would use to pray and to communicate with God. What is Jonah's tool for spiritual breakthrough? You know, he's in the belly of the great fish. What is the thing that he employs that enables his soul to experience more of God? A psalm. And if you're going to be a person who in the hardest moments of your life experiences God and his grace more deeply, it's going to be through psalms. It's going to be through prayer songs. And may I suggest very practically, it's going to be through the book of Psalms. You see, there's 150 Psalms in the Bible. And the Psalms are the hymn book, the the prayer book of the people of God. And in the Psalms, you will find every single possible human emotion represented. Maybe not every single human experience, but every single possible human emotion, it's there in the Psalms. And the Psalms show us how we can bring whatever emotions we have to God and how God meets us in those moments of incredible joy and ecstasy or incredible sadness and despair or anger and frustration or indifference and apathy. The Psalms show us how to bring our whole souls to God, no matter what our souls are feeling. But here's what's interesting. Here's Jonah in the belly of the great fish. Now, just try to imagine what that would be. It's kind of like being buried alive in something that's moving in the ocean. It's a horrible experience. And that would not be a place for artistic creativity. I mean, if that's my situation, I would not be brimming with poetry in that moment. So here's the question. How was it that Jonah was able to compose such beauty in such adverse circumstances? And some scholars read this chapter and they say it was just a moment of brilliance. It was just God coming down and giving Jonah the right words. He just kind of out of nowhere came. And others say, no, no, no. What if actually this was a poem that Jonah had memorized? That he had been reciting for weeks or months or maybe years of his life before this day. But in this moment, it took on a whole new meaning for him. And he felt it in a way like he never did before. So some say it's a brand new poem. He just wrote it. Others say, no, he's known it for a while. Here's my suggestion. It's probably a little bit of both. Here's Jonah. He's a prophet. He's someone who knows the Psalms, the prayer songs of the people of God. He spent years of his life soaking himself in these words. So that, now in this moment of incredible crisis, what instinctually comes out is his own psalm. A psalm that looks like other psalms, and this poem does look like other psalms in our Bible, but not exactly. So what comes out is a song that looks a lot like other psalms, but it's unique and personal for that moment. And it's the psalm, the prayer that enables his soul to be opened up to God. So application. Are you in a pit right now? Are you in the realm of the shadow of the dead? The psalms can help you. Literally, the psalms of our Bible can give you a vocabulary to bring your whole soul to God. It worked for Jonah. But second before you get into a pit. I mean, if you're in one right now, go to the Psalms. But how much better before we find ourselves in the pit, in the depths, to begin a people who regularly soak ourselves in these prayers. The vocabulary of the Psalms becoming the vocabulary of our own lives, where when we're happy, we think, in psalm language, and when we're sad, we grieve in psalm language, and when we're angry, we be angry in the language of the people of God, and then when the pit comes, you have a way to encounter God through the language that you've soaked yourself in. See, this is a tool for spiritual breakthrough. Are you a person, are we a church that soaks ourselves in the psalms? It couldn't be more practical and important. So the place of breakthrough Jonah's hardest moment, a tool for breakthrough, the Psalms, the prayer songs of the people of God. And now let's see what's the discovery that Jonah made as this breakthrough was happening. It's there in verse eight. I'll tell it to you in a phrase. What Jonah discovers is that idols always cheat you. They take much more than they give. Look with me at verse 8. Jonah says, Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. Jonah's recognizing something here that is a profound lesson for spiritual life, and that's this. As a human being, and I don't just mean as a Christian, I mean every single human being in our city and in our world, all of us want basically one thing to be loved. We want someone, some group of people to see us to the bottom and yet to still love us. We want to be fully known and fully loved. Luke Ferry, who teaches philosophy at the University of Paris, an expert in the history of philosophy, he surveys all the great philosophical texts, all the great thinkers throughout history. And he says, in conclusion, you know what human beings basically want? What you want more than anything? He says, here it is. What do we desire above all else? To be understood, to be loved, not to be alone, and not to be separated from those that we love. That's what humans want, to be loved and to show love. That's our deepest longing. That's why John Steinbeck, the American novelist, in his great novel, heartbreaking novel, East of Eden, at one moment reflecting on one of the characters said simply, Every person wants to be good and we want to be loved. Indeed, even underneath most of our vices are attempted shortcuts to love. The reason we do terrible things is because we're trying to find love. So that's what we want. And you see what Jonah's saying. Verse 8, Jonah talks about God's love. And the word that Jonah uses for love there, it's a Hebrew word, hesed. And it literally means, it's impossible to translate into English because it means too many things. The word Jonah uses, it, it, it means unbreakable, undying, unstoppable, loyal love. It's love that you can't escape. It's love that will pursue you even into the depth. It's God's steadfast love. And Jonah says, every single time I turn to an idol... I'm turning away from the only love that can actually satisfy my heart. Idols are cheats, and they take much more than they give. So what is an idol? We're going to spend just a couple minutes here. This is a major theme in Jonah. It's a major theme in the Bible. What is an idol? What is idolatry? The Bible says you were made to worship God. You were made to have a relationship to him. And yet sin means saying to God, I don't want you. I don't need you. But guess what? When you take God off the throne of your life, you can't, you don't actually have the option of moving through this world without worshiping. You have to worship something, someone. And an idol, the Bible says, is anything that takes God's place in your life. Anything that you look to for significance, anything that gives you ultimate meaning, anything that you look to to say, I know I'm something because I have that. That's an idol. And you know what that means? Idols are not just bad things. Actually, most of the time, they're good things that we allow to become supreme things. Most of our idols are really good things, even good gifts that God has given that we've turned into pseudo gods. Richard Keyes, who has a really important essay on idolatry, puts it this way All sorts of things are potential idols. If this is so, how do we determine when something is becoming or has become an idol? As soon as it has our loyalty. If it's anything that leads us to disobey God, that thing is becoming an idol. An idol can be a physical object. It can be a property, a person, an activity, a role, institution, hope, image, idea, a pleasure, a hero, and so on. Let me give you an example. Work, your job, vocation whatever you spend most of your time doing. The Bible says that God made work, that work is a fundamental part of our humanity, that without work, we feel dehumanized. Work's really important and something God has given. But can that good thing become a supreme thing? Absolutely. And for many people, work is not just a good thing that they use to glorify God and serve others. It becomes an ultimate thing by which they derive a sense of meaning and identity in life. And what happens? If work is your God, then you can neglect family, you can neglect relationships, you might even neglect your health, because you're being controlled by your God. How about another possible idol? Approval. Many of us move through the world wanting to be well-liked, wanting to be accepted, wanting to have approval. Approval. Now, is that a good thing? It is a good thing. If you don't care at all what people think of you, well, we have to talk. That's a problem. It's a good thing to want to be approved and to be accepted and have people like you. But if that becomes your God, if what other people think of you is the most important thing, do you realize you'll never be able to risk saying something or doing something that another person might need to hear or feel if it might hurt them because you're afraid of disapproval. You'll never have the tough conversation. You'll never be able to speak truth and love because you'll be too afraid that if you do that, you'll lose the relationship. You're controlled by your God. How about Jonah? What's his idol? Well, we'll talk a lot more about this next week, but basically tribalism. Jonah connects his identity, his meaning in life to the people group that he's a part of. So when God says, I want you to go to another people and tell them good news, Jonah says, no. No. Because I don't like those people. He's racist. He has a superiority complex that views all other peoples that oppose his as inferior. Now, the Bible says, should you take pride in your ethnicity and your race? Absolutely. When you become a Christian, it doesn't flatten our differences. We're, We're still different. And that's a good thing. It's something that's to be celebrated. But those differences can lead to division when they become idols when they become our supreme sources of identity. And Jonah's idolatry was tribalism. And Jonah says, when I turned to something other than God and I trusted in it for ultimate meaning, it led me into despair and despondency because I was turning away from the only love that could really heal my heart. That's the discovery that we often make when we're in the hardest moments of our life. That there's something or some person or some opportunity or some idea that has become more captivating to us than God. And God, in his severe mercy, allows those idols to come crashing down. Because if he doesn't, we would be controlled to our death by them. Rebecca Pippert, in one of her great books, says this, Whatever controls us, that's our Lord. The person who seeks power is controlled by power. The person who seeks acceptance is controlled by the people he or she wants to please. We do not control ourselves. We are controlled by the Lord of our life. And she's right. Whatever your God is, that's your master. And Jonah realizes in that belly of the great fish, I've been looking for ultimate love and meaning from something that could never give it in the first place. And that idol literally crushed him. But God was reaching down and saving him through a severe mercy. That was the discovery in Jonah's moment of spiritual breakthrough. And so for us today, a practical question is simply, what might you be looking to in God's place to give you meaning and security and purpose? Some questions to ask. What is your greatest nightmare? What are the, what's the thing that you're most afraid of losing? What are the things that you naturally turn to when you find yourself going through something hard or challenging to get comfort? Where do you get your greatest sense of identity and worth? If the real answer, I don't mean the Christian-y Sunday morning church answer, but if the real answer to any of those questions is anything other than God, you're forsaking God's steadfast love to you. But that's, that's where Jonah was. And the good news is, That as Jonah is there, in the belly of the great fish, at the end of himself, with no hope, God breaks through to him. You see, this is the final point of our sermon, and also the main point of our sermon. The story of Jonah is not ultimately about Jonah finding his way back to God. Jonah's in the belly of a great fish. Not much you can do with that. Like there's no GPS or controlling the, he is stuck. If Jonah's going to have any hope at all, it's not going to be because he finds his way back to God. It's because God breaks through to him. And that's what we see here in this prayer. Ultimately, let me show you, come with me back to the text and look with me at verse four and verse seven. Don't you find it odd that twice in this prayer, Jonah mentions the temple. I mean, it's very interesting. He's inside a sea creature in the middle of the Mediterranean. And yet his mind reflexively keeps going back to the temple, which was literally a physical building, a structure in the ancient city of Jerusalem. What's that about? Because Jonah knows (laughs) if I'm going to have any hope at all, it's only in the temple. You see, the temple is the place where heaven touches earth. The the temple is the place where the presence of God dwells among his people. And most of all, the temple is the place of sacrifice. It's the place where you go to get forgiveness for your sin. And Jonah here in the belly of the great fish, he knows that what he's experiencing is exactly what his sins deserve. He he thinks he's going to die. He thinks he's at the end of his life, and he knows that's God's judgment. And yet he says, if there's any hope for me at all, it's a temple. It's a place where God comes to me in forgiveness because of a sacrifice. And so he can't help but have his mind wander to the temple. What Jonah knew only imperfectly, we can see clearly. That our hope, too, is in a temple, but not a place, a person. Because the Lord Jesus Christ, many, many years after Jonah, was standing in the old city of Jerusalem. And the physical temple was there right behind him, a big, beautiful building. And Jesus was teaching. And he said to the crowd that day, Destroy this temple, and in three days, I'll raise it up. Three days, just like Jonah in the belly of the fish. Jesus says, Three days, I'll raise it up. And the people who were there with Jesus say, It took 46 years to build this building. And you're going to build it in three days? And Jesus says, I'm speaking of the temple of my body. And what do we learn? Jesus is the true and ultimate temple, He's the ultimate meeting place of heaven and earth. He's the ultimate dwelling of God with human beings. But here's the wonder of the gospel. You see, most religions, most worldviews, they tell you what you need to do to go and find God. But the gospel, the message of Christianity is, here's the temple running after you. Here's what God has done to bring grace and salvation to you. Jonah could only see it imperfectly and not full, fully clear. I need the temple. But the full story of the Bible shows us that is what we need, and we have it. Because Jesus, the temple, the true temple, has come running after us. So where does that leave Jonah? And where does that leave you today? Come back with me again to the end of the passage, verse 9. The very last thing Jonah says, Salvation comes from the Lord. That's a prayer of surrender. Jonah says, I give up. If you give me a second chance or if I die in the belly of the great fish, I surrender. I'm done trying to save myself. I'm done trying to live for myself. Salvation comes from the Lord. My only hope is grace. And in that moment, Jonah taps into the very heart of the Bible, the very heart of God's story, the very heart of the gospel. That grace comes to those not who earn it, but to those who realize they never can. Grace doesn't come to those who deserve it, but to the undeserving. And that's the wonder of grace. And like I've said, Jonah, he's not a perfect person after this, but he has changed and he's on a growth, on a Progress of spiritual journey in which his life will never be the same. And throughout history, many of you and many, many others have experienced that when you surrender, that's where salvation comes. When you give up and you say, I'm done trying to save myself, I, I can't. That's when God's salvation comes flooding into your life. It's like St. Augustine, who spent most of his life chasing identity in sex and romance and then literature and philosophy, and then trying to please his parents. And he was empty. And then finally, the grace of God comes into his life. And Augustine says, God, you made us for yourself and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. It's like John Newton, who pastored a church not far from here, who lived a pretty horrible life, abusing people and taking advantage of them profiting over other people's misfortune and pain. But then the grace of God came into his life. He was changed and he wrote a song that's been sung by zillions of people ever since. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. It's grace. It's like Jackie Hill Perry who in one of her memoirs writes about how she spent most of her life looking to all kinds of things to try to give her love and meaning. And it, they didn't work. But then she concluded as she experienced grace, God would not let me spend the rest of my life believing that these lesser forms of love were the real thing. It was his grace and undeserved love that helped me see every person place or thing that I loved more than him could never keep its promise to love me eternally. And she surrendered and had salvation. What about you? Today's the day, like Augustine or Jackie or John, not that I'm on a first name basis with all of them, <laughs> to surrender. And in that moment, just like Jonah to say, the moment you give up, God's salvation comes flooding into your life. That's the wonder of grace. It comes to those not who've earned it, but who know they never could. Today's a day to surrender and to say salvation comes from the Lord. Let's pray. Our God, thank you for this time. Thank you for the story of Jonah. Thank you that you break through. You break through our rebellion, our stubbornness, You break through our running away from you and you follow up on us with great, overwhelming, amazing grace. So right now, as we come to communion, as we respond, may we experience that grace in a whole new way as we declare salvation comes from the Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.